Hello, Disruptors, and welcome back to the 76th episode of the Oligarchy Disruptor Podcast with your hosts, Bennett Leon and Ashley Downing as well. Hello, hello. Alrighty, guys. So today we're just going to jump right into the topic of the day, which is a topic that our lovely co-host Ashley decided to share with us on our our Facebook page. Um, and it features Trevor Noah, and he's talking about the riots and all that. So let's just jump right in, and we'll talk about it as we go. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Um, what's up, Trevor? You know, what's really interesting about <laughs> America right now is that a lot of people don't seem to realize how dominoes connect, how one piece knocks another piece that knocks another piece, and in the end creates a giant wave. Each story seems completely unrelated, and yet at the same time, I feel like everything that happens in the world connects to something else in some way, shape, or form. And I think this news, this news cycle that we witnessed in the last week was a perfect example of that. Amy Cooper, George Floyd, and you know the people of Minneapolis. Amy Cooper was, for many people, I think, the catalyst. And by the way, I should mention that all of this is like against the backdrop of coronavirus. You know, people stuck in their houses for one of the longest periods we can remember. People losing more jobs than every anyone can ever remember. Um, people struggling to make do more than they can ever remember. And I think all of that compounded by the fact that there seems to be no genuine plan from leadership. Like no one knows what's going to happen. You know, no one knows how long they're supposed to be good, how long they're supposed to stay inside, how long they're supposed to flatten the curve. No one knows any of these things. And so what happens is you have a group of people who are stuck inside, all of us as society, we're stuck inside. And we then start to consume. We see what's happening in, in the world. And I think Amy Cooper was one of the first moments that, that you know, one of the first dominoes that, that, that we saw get knocked down post-corona for many people. And that was a world where you quickly realize that while everyone is facing the battle against coronavirus, black people in America are still facing the battle against racism and coronavirus. And the reason I say it's a domino is because think about how many black Americans just have read and seen the news of how black people are disproportionately affected by coronavirus. And not because of something inherently inside black people, but rather because of the lives black people have lived in America for so long. You know, coronavirus exposed all of it. And now here you have this woman who we've all seen the video now, blatantly, blatantly knew how to use the power of, of, of her whiteness to threaten the life of another man and his blackness. What we saw with her was a really, really powerful, explicit example of, of an understanding of racism in a structural way. When she looked, when she looked at, 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 at that man, when she looked at Cooper and she said to him, I'm gonna call 911 and I'm gonna tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. She knew how powerful that was. And that in itself is telling, you know, it tells you mm-hmm. how she perceives the police. It tells you how she perceives her perception or her relationship with the police as a white woman. It shows you how she perceives a black man's relationship with the police and the police's relationship with him. It's, it was 
it was really, it was, it was, it was powerful. Because so many people act like they don't know what, what, what black Americans are talking about when they said, and yet Amy Cooper had a distinct understanding. She was like, oh, I know. All right, go ahead, Ash. Let it, let him finish this last part. Okay. I know that you're, you're afraid of in, interacting with the police because there is a presumption of your guilt because of your blackness. I know that as a white woman, I can weaponize this tool against you. And I know that by the time we've sifted through who was right or wrong, there's a good chance that you will have lost in some way, shape or form. I really liked that he brought up Amy Cooper because I think that people are making, which this really is, I'm, I don't want to take away from George Floyd or Ahmaud Aubrey or any other black male or female that has been taken from a police officer or um, from anybody for racist reasons. But um, a lot of people I think are forgetting about this situation with Amy Cooper. And this situation is what is so telling about the times that we're living in right now and why protests that are happening right now need to be taking place. Because if this woman is not, the fact that this is just one, that, that we, this was caught on camera, that it's proof that there's not, there's more people out there that believe this. Um, and clearly there's a lot of people in our police force that also believe this, which is scary. Um, so the fact that she could use the fact that she was white to call police and tell them that she was encountering an, a black male and she knew that that was going to be a powerful statement. I mean, and that's exactly what she said. I'm going to tell them that an African-American is threatening me in the park. Um, mm -hmm. I just really like that he brought up this video because this is why people are protesting. This is what is wrong. This is, our, this is a societal issue. This isn't just about police killing black people. This is an institutional issue. And it's something that, um, when they say we need a complete overhaul of the police department, they're not lying. It's necessary because this is something that people genuinely have in their ingrained in their brain. Um, it's, I just love that he brought this up. I really did. I do too, to be honest. And I, I'm going to, uh, I'm just going to make a little side note about that is that I, I like it because no one is really fixating on Amy Cooper right now. I feel like that's like the, the least of the issues, especially because like nothing really like uh, big, big happened there. Like no one died or anything like that. Nothing like George uh, Floyd or whatever. Um, so I think it's really important to even know like those types of experiences and put in that kind of context for people is very powerful. And I like the way you put it together. Um, so let's go ahead and just uh, put that video back up so we can resume and so for me that was that was the first domino and so now you you're living in a world where so many people are watching this video so many people are being triggered because in many ways it was like a it was like a gotcha you know it was like a it was like it was like the curtain had been pulled back aha so you do this because it's always been spoken about but this was like it was powerful to see it being used and I think a lot of people were triggered by that. A lot of people, a lot of people were like, damn, we, we knew it was real, but this is like real, real, you know? 
I think a lot of people also angry that some of the outrage that came to her was because of her dog. Uh, and I mean, I get it, you know, but, but it was, it was, a lot of people felt like, a lot of people felt like it would have been great if the dog shelters had the same, I guess, power or, or, or if police departments were run by the people who run dog shelters, because they seemed to act like this, they didn't waste time. They were like, nope, we like our dog bad lady. <laughs> Which I'm gonna be honest, I think was that was a that was a I mean that was a hell of a punishment. Her job is one thing, taking a white lady's dog. That was a nice dog. And so that was the first domino, you know? It was the first domino where I felt like you could feel something stirring. And all of this again is in the backdrop of backdrop. It's, it's coronavirus has happened. The numbers have come out. You know, the story of Ahmad Arbery in Georgia, that story has come up. All of these things are happening. Uh, I just want to pause it really, really fast. Uh, just to note that uh, I think it's really interesting that he's bringing up that kind of context as well. Um, because I, it brings back a tweet I saw earlier today by Andrew Yang saying that we have a crisis on top of a crisis on top of a crisis, which we do. Uh, right now, and it's absolutely insane uh, to be alive during this time and like just like see everything that's going down because there's so much happening. COVID has like started so unleashed a uh, side of uh, humanity that we haven't seen, especially in the United States. Uh, but let's resume the video. And then the video of George Floyd <laughs> comes out and. I don't know what made that video more painful for people to watch. The fact that that man was having his life taken in front of our eyes, the fact that we're watching someone being murdered by someone whose job is to protect and serve, or the fact that he seemed so calm. You know? Get down, get down, get down. He's feared for their life. Hey everybody, <laughs> welcome back. Um, so, so as you probably know, there's a lot of like crazy things going on in Chicago right now. And um, basically <laughs> what just happened was there was like a drive-by shooting in right outside of my place. Not towards our place, towards the other side of the street, luckily. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> apologies for that. But that's what's going on right now. Um, <laughs> I am honestly not really super for all of this destruction. I think that people are, um, some people are like taking it as an opportunity to commit other crimes because they think that police are busy. And I think that that's maybe what's happening too with the gangs over here. But I also think that kind of going back to that video that it has to do with people have just been cooped up inside. They have all of these emotions going on and these protests are just heating people up. Um, but yeah, everything's good. Yeah, we're everyone's all, safe. I'm glad you're okay. Everyone's okay. Luna's okay, and John. Oh my gosh, she was so scared. <laughs> she was so scared. <laughs> so scared. But uh, yes, everyone's good. Okay, glad. But yeah, crazy stuff, guys. You heard, you heard, you saw it here right on um, this episode. Crazy shit, um, and it happened <clears throat> right outside of your door. Or your window, actually. <laughs> um, so let's go ahead and resume the video.
was like a threat. And you know, you, you, you always feel like an asshole when, when you're like, you didn't fear for your life. How, why did you fear for your life? How did you fear? But now more and more we're starting to see that it's like, no, it doesn't seem like there's a fear. It just seems like it's, you can do it so you did it. There was a black man on the ground in handcuffs and you, you could take his life so you did. Almost knowing that there would be no ramifications. And then again, everyone on the internet has to watch this. Everyone sees it. It's, it floods our timelines as people. And, and I think one ray of sunshine for me in that moment was seeing how many people instantly condemned what they saw. You know, and maybe it's because I'm an optimistic person, but I, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that, especially not in America. I haven't seen a police video come out and, and just see across the board. I mean, Fox News and police chiefs from around the country immediately condemning what they saw. No questions, not what was he doing, not just going, no, this, what happened here was wrong. It was wrong. This person got murdered on camera. And then the police were fired. Great. But I, I think what people take for granted is, is, is how much for so many people that feels like nothing, you know? How, how, how many of us as, as human beings can take the life of another human being and then have firing be the worst thing that happens to us? And yes, we don't know where the case will go, don't get me wrong, but it just, it, it feels like there is no moment of justice. There is no, you know, if you're watching a movie, you'd at least want the cops, you'd want to see the perpetrators in handcuffs. You'd want to see the perpetrators facing some sort of justice. Yes, they might come out on bail, etc. But I think there's a lot of catharsis that comes with seeing that justice being doled out. When the riots happened, that for me was an interesting culmination of everything. I saw so many people online saying, these riots are disgusting. This is not how a society should be run. You do not loot and you do not burn and you do not, this is not how our society is built. And that, that actually triggered something in me where I was like, man, okay, society, what, but what is society? And fundamentally, when you boil it down, society is a contract. It's a contract that we sign as human beings amongst each other. We sign a contract with each other as people, whether it's spoken or unspoken, and we say, amongst this group of us, we agree in common rules, common ideals, and common practices that are going to define us as a group. That's what I think a society is. It's a contract. And as with most contracts, the contract is only as strong as the people who are, who are abiding by it. But if you think of being a black person in America who is living in Minneapolis or Minnesota or any place where you're not having a good time, ask yourself this question when you watch those people, what vested interest do they have in maintaining the contract? Why, like, why don't we all loot? Why, why, don't, why doesn't everybody take? Why don't, because we've agreed on things. There are so many people who are starving out there. There's so many people who don't have. There's so many people. There are people who are destitute. There are people who, when the virus hits and they don't have a second paycheck already broke, which is insane, but that's, that's the reality. But still, think about how many people who don't have, the have-nots, say, you know what? I'm still going to play by the rules, even though I have nothing, because I still wish for the society to work and exist. And then 
some members of that society, namely black American people, watch time and time again how the contract that they have signed with society is not being honored by the society that has forced them to sign it with them. When you watch Ahmad Arbery be- um, Really quick side note, it's not only black people, but also Indians, Native Americans. Another group that's all, also overlooked. And ju- same thing, same-, same People way. of color, yeah, in general, yeah. Well, and I think it's really important to note too, he says that they're forced to sign You know, it's not even that they really had a voice in creating this social contract. If you think about it, um, you know, who wrote our constitution? Old white men. (laughs) Um, You know, who makes our laws still to this day? The majority are old white men. Um, You know, finally, we have a more diverse Congress. But um, I like that he used that word force in there, too. Definitely. Definitely. Let's resume the video. Shots. And you hear that those men have been released and were it not for the video and the outrage, those people would be living their lives. What part of the contract is that in society? When, when you see George Floyd on the ground and you see a man losing his life <clears throat> in a way that no person should ever have to lose their life, at the hands of someone who's supposed to enforce the law, what part of the contract is that? And a lot of people say, well, what good does this do? Yeah, but what, what good doesn't it do? That's the question people don't ask the other way around. What good does it do to loot Target? What is it, how does it help you to loot Target? Yeah, but how does it help you to not loot Target? Answer that question. Because the only reason you didn't loot Target before was because you were upholding society's contract. There is no contract if law and people in power don't uphold their end of it. And that's the thing I think people don't understand sometimes is that is that we need people at the top to be the most accountable because they are the ones who are basically setting the tone and the tenor for everything that we do in society. It's the same way we tell parents to set an example for their kids, the same way we tell captains or coaches to set an example for their players, the same way you tell teachers to set an example for their students. The reason we do that is because we understand in society that if you lead by example, there is a good chance that people will follow that example that you have set. And so if the example law enforcement is setting is that they do not adhere to the laws, then why should the citizens of that society adhere to the laws when in fact the law enforcers themselves don't? Go ahead. Exactly, exactly. And I think that people just want to say that the looters are being horrible people and that they're honestly, honestly, I will say that there are a lot of opportunists out there right now. And I don't think that, I don't think that looting is necessarily the best mode of action. However, well, the destruction, lighting things on fire, things like that. However, they're breaking the social contract, which has already been broken to them for years, for decades, for centuries. <laughs> um, so for people to say, you know, that, well, you know, these people are doing criminal acts, they are having criminal acts done to them on a regular basis. And to them, this social contract that apparently everybody has signed is being broken. So why can't they break it? Why can't they break it? Interesting how there's a double standard, huh? 
Mm -hmm. Well, and it's just interesting that people automatically want to put so much hatred in these people and say that they're, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not like, what's the word? Hoodlums. That they're, you know, that they're just, you know, these crazy kids in the streets that are just wreaking havoc. Um, and granted, sure, there are some of those people out there, but the momentum that they're building, the anger that they have is so incredibly justified, so incredibly justified. And the fact that people can only see them in a negative light instead of seeing the fact that their anger is justified is not just frustrating to me, but it makes me angry because I feel like I don't want to have to uh, defend protesters and rioters. Really, that's who I'm defending, I guess, or rioters, because I'm, I'm definitely 100% for protesters. But I don't want to have to defend violence, honestly. But I will if this is what it's for, because come on, people, like you can't say that these people are doing horrible, horrible things because their anger is so justified. And if you can't see that, then you clearly have a lot of privilege. A hundred percent. All right, let's just uh, jump right back into that video. This guy. <laughs> really grinding the gears. There's a, there's a really <laughs> fantastic chapter in Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath, where he talks about the principles, what is it? It's, he talks about the principles, the principles of legitimacy. And he says, in order for us to argue that any society or any, any legal body or any power is legitimate, we have to agree on core principles. And those three principles, if I remember correctly, is number one, we have to agree on what the principles are. Number two, we have to believe that the people who are enforcing the principles are gonna enforce them fairly. And number three, we have to agree that everyone in that society is going to be treated fairly according to those principles. It is safe to say in this one week alone, and maybe even from the beginning of coronavirus really blowing up in America, black Americans have seen their principles completely delegitimized. Because if you're a black person in America right now and you're watching this, if you're a black American person specifically and you're watching this, what principles are you seeing? I think sometimes the thing we need to remember and it's something I haven't remembered my whole life. I, like it's, you, you, you start to learn these things, you know, when, when, you, when you travel the world, when you read, when you learn about society, I think is that like, when you are a have and when you are a have not, you see the world in very different ways. And a lot of the time people say to the have nots, this is not the right way to handle things. When Colin Kaepernick kneels, they say, this is not the right way to protest. When Martin Luther King, had children as part of his protests in Birmingham, Alabama. People said having children as your protest is not the right way to do things. When he marched in Selma, yeah. 
When people watch through the streets, they say, oh, I'm not going to drink a pox. They said, this is not the right way to do things. When people... What is that? I paused it. What is that? Oh, I don't know. It just got really loud. So, you know, just being safe. Oh, okay. People burn things. They say it's not the It's never the right way because there's never, there is never a right way to protest. And I've said this before. There is no right way to protest because that's what protest is. It cannot be right because you are protesting against the thing that is stopping you. And so I think what a lot of people don't realize is the same way you might have experienced even more anger and, and more just visceral disdain watching those people loot that target. Think to yourselves, or maybe it would help you if you, if you think about that, that, that unease that you felt watching that target being looted. Try to imagine how it must feel for black Americans when they watch themselves being looted every single day, because that's fundamentally what's happening in America. Yeah. <clears throat> Police in America are looting black bodies. And I know someone might think that's an extreme phrase, but it's not because here's the thing I think a lot of people don't realize. George Floyd died. That is part of the reason the story became so big is because he died. But how many George Floyds are there that don't die? How many men are having knees put on their necks? How many Sandra Blands are out there being tossed around? We don't, we don't, it doesn't make the news because it's, it's not grim enough. It doesn't even get us enough anymore. It's only the deaths, the gruesome deaths that stick out. But imagine to yourself, if you grew up in a community where every day someone had their, 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 their knee on your neck, where every day somebody was out there oppressing you every single day, you tell me what that does to you as a society, as a community, as a group of people. And when you know that this is happening because of the color of your skin, not because the people are saying it's happening because of the color of your skin, but rather because it's only happening to you and you're the only people who have that skin color. Mm -hmm. Well, and then people wonder why they're so upset. And I think that I, I I wish that more people, and it looks like a lot of people have already watched this video. I wish though everybody would watch this video because I think that it would really help them understand the anger that the black community has. And when he used that, when he used the same phrase looted for to talk about bodies instead of talking about groceries, um, you really see how the comparison is completely uneven. Um, I, when he said that, I think it's interesting that you brought that up because when he said that, I interpreted it differently. Um, at first, and at least until he explained it later on, I took it as like looting, like financial looter, uh, like looting of like, that too. which has also happened. Yeah. Redlining was a thing, you know, like they weren't allowed like that loans and shit. They mm -hmm. weren't given their 40 acres and a meal like they were promised. Um, like it just goes way back. It goes way, way, way back, you know? Um, Housing discrimination is still a thing. Unequal pay is still a thing. And they get, it is a fact that they make much less than uh, white people do, mm -hmm. uh, along with minorities. Um, but that's just a fact that they were also looted financially um, and with their own flesh and blood, like 
um, yeah. there. But let's finish up the video. We only got like a minute left, and then we'll wrap up the video after that. Yeah, but like, well, how come black black people don't care when black people kill? But man, it's one of the dumbest arguments ever. Of course they care. <laughs> if you've ever been to a hood anywhere, not just in America, but anywhere in the world, you know how much black people care about that. If you know anything about under-policing and over-policing, though, you would understand how that comes to be. The police show black people how valuable their lives are considered by the society. And so then those people who live in those communities know how to or not deal with those lives. Because I love that. You kill a white person, especially in America, there is a whole lot more justice than is coming your way than if you killed some black body in a black neighborhood somewhere. And I think we all kind of know that like fundamentally, you know, like we all know that like, just like how, um, Amy Cooper knew, you know, about, mm -hmm. she knew the power of saying like that she was a white woman being attacked by an African-American man. Like some, some shit's going to happen, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the amount of wrongful convictions have primarily been, and primarily by a long shot, been people of color, black men that have been wrongfully convicted. Um, yeah, I, I, I love that he said that because people wanna make that comment all the time. Well, black people don't care about black lives because they're shooting each other all the time. Mm -hmm. And I love that he said that that's not only a dumb argument, but society is telling them how valuable their lives are. If you're told every single day that you are shit, you're going to believe that you are shit. It's just a fact. This is a psychological, scientific fact. So redundant. I hate that argument as well. I love that he brought that up. That's so funny. I love how you're so into it. Um, but yes, very, very, uh, very, very strong argument there. Um, let's just finish up the last like 30 seconds. I just want to <laughs> say, um, just out of my own curiosity, let's go ahead. <laughs> this fucking guy, dude. And so to anyone who watched that video, don't don't ask yourself if it's right or wrong to loot. Or, don't ask yourself, what, what does looting help? What, no, no, no. Ask yourself that ask yourself that question. Ask yourself why it got you that much more watching watching these people loot because they were destroying the contract that you thought they had signed with your society. And now think to yourself, imagine if you were them watching that contract being ripped up every single day. Ask yourself how you'd feel. Claps for you, Trevor Noah. Claps for you. Okay. Dope, dope, dope. You already got a whole episode out of this. Free advertising for you. <laughs> so um, with that, I think that was a fantastic video. Props to you, Ash, for bringing that up. And um, any comments oh, before we depart? No, I love the way he ended that video. Ask yourself that same question. I like how he worded it, so I'm not going to rephrase it. Support the movement, guys. Mm -hmm. Support the movement and um, remember that riots are the, vi are the, is the voices of the unheard, I think is what, um, right? Uh, Martin Luther King said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Martin Luther King said that riots are like uh, the voices of the unheard and, or the language of the unheard, my bad.
And that's super true uh, because like, what do you do, you know, when you have nothing left? And like we, we mentioned this in earlier episodes uh, before this, uh, well, kind of when the beginning of COVID was kind of happening where we predicted that something was going to happen like, uh, like protests, marching was going to happen soon because all of our institutions are failing. We didn't anticipate that it was going to be because a black person, like a black man was killed. Uh, we thought it was going to be like for financial reasons, but people were so, uh, people still don't even realize that that's going on as well <laughs> um, for the most part. But I'm happy with this. Let's start with this. Let's run with this. Uh, but it's kind of turning into class warfare as well, uh, which I think is also a really important part of the movement to, to take on because that's really where we are. Like this is a moment where we're realizing that the system isn't working and why isn't the system working because the system is bought the system is bought and paid for by the oligarchy that's why we named this whole podcast uh this whole uh show the oligarchy disruptor because um we wanted to disrupt the oligarchy they own literally everything thanks so much for tuning in guys and listening to my little rant dan and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Bye, guys.